Several weeks we have been walking with the Lord into the Sermon on the Mount, and I need to get right to it because I got to do some work that I wouldn't usually do. Um, when I talked about prayer in the last two weeks, I didn't first have to say, okay, let's talk mechanics. Let me tell you how this thing works, okay? So, first of all, body posture can matter. You might want to pray on your knees because when you pray on your knees, here are the effects of that. And, uh, but if you pray standing, here's what that does for you. I didn't, I didn't go into that at all. I didn't go into what you should expect in terms of your internal experience to be. You know, you might encounter while you're praying something that interrupts your prayer. Sometimes God does that. He shows up like the cloud showed up in the temple when Solomon was trying to dedicate the temple and the cloud just showed up there and interrupted everything. You know, they wouldn't, their plans went awry because God messed everything up. He didn't realize, he didn't look at the schedule of events and he came walking in. You might have something happen like that while you're praying where you think you know where your prayer is going and suddenly the awe of God overwhelms you and your prayer goes into tears. I didn't talk about that. Why not? Because I assume that there's a certain shared level of knowledge about prayer. And then this morning we get to, and when you fast. We have a problem with fastlessness in the modern American church. You know, when, when he says, when you fast, that second word is an important word. He didn't say if. Do you see that? He presumes that his followers will actually want to do this. Modern Americans, for the most part, have bought into the, the lie told to us by the, cult, by the government and by the culture around us that you need to be engaged with the food pyramid and you need to really feed your body. You need three squares every day. And if you aren't getting three squares a day, you're going to die. You realize that? You're going to wither up and die probably tomorrow if you don't eat today. It's a lie. There's, I mean, there's a lot of money to be made. Feeding America, a lot of money in it. And there's a lot of power in getting us to be afraid of... You know, look, you don't have to eat every day. You can be healthy. You can be very healthy and not eat every day. But our culture is bought into that, and so is just about every Christian I've ever... Fastlessness is an all-too-common reality. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but if I were, I wonder how many hands would go up if I asked, how many of you fast regularly? Like a couple of times a week. How many of you do that? Now, honestly, I wouldn't put my hand up. Do you know that our ancient siblings did? You know that? That it was regular fasting in Judaism to fast on Monday and Wednesday, and the Christians didn't want to fall in with the Judaizers, so they moved it to Tuesday and Friday. But it was a regular practice in the ancient world to fast a couple of times a week. There's a good bit of evidence to believe that. That regular fasting was part of their life. Before I get into this though, I think I need to talk about what this thing is because there are a multitude of ways in which you can use the concept of fasting. You know what fasting means? It means going without food for a time period for spiritual purposes. That's what fasting is. Now, I do want to point out, there are a lot of ways to fast. 
a lot of ways to fast. A lot of psychological fasting. For instance, are you addicted to something? You know, and I don't mean addicted to drugs, because if you are, you need help to get off of that. But I mean, like, are you addicted to your phone? Does your phone have hold of you? You know, if you've got something that's got hold of you instead of getting you having a hold of it, fasting is your first step towards escape. You know, and and do you have something that is incredibly pleasurable to you? Maybe you watch television every night. Well, fasting can actually be useful for that. Where where you say, okay, that pleasurable thing, I'm going to give that up for spiritual purposes. You can do that. You can fast from a particular kind of food. You could say, okay, well, you know what? For this month, I'm not going to eat any chocolate. I know, I know, it's horrifying. <laughs> you know, or I'm not going to eat any meat. You know, no, no meat of any kind, nothing that was once alive. Well, flesh, anyway. <laughs> Don't eat rocks for a month. Don't do that. But, you know, I'm just going to eat vegetables for a month. That's a kind of fasting. You can do that. But real fasting, what the word originally meant, and what I think it means in its purest form, is to actually go without food for a a period of time for the purposes of prayer intensification. In the ancient Judaism, there was exactly one day a year where you were prescribed, you were ordered to fast, which is one day more a year than many Christians will do this. But one day a year. It's the only time it was ever commanded, and that's the Day of Atonement. When you come to to terms with the reality that I am a sinner in need of redemption and forgiveness, you've got to come into terms with that, and you also got to come to terms with that is available to me. And fasting was meant to intensify those realities for you. It was the day when you mortified your flesh. You went without food. But... And so it's only commanded once a year, and it's not ever, well, unless this is a commandment, Jesus' is kind of assumption that you're going to do it. But other times that you would do it, you would do it in times of mourning, you know, when your heart is broken. And quite honestly, fasting's really easy when you're mourning, isn't it? You don't feel like eating anyway. You know, you're really sad. Well, fasting was a way to express that with your body, you know, and to express your sorrows. You'd also do it in the times of political crisis when the whole world was in trouble. You know, when, when you were threatened by enemy armies, there might be a call for a national day of fasting and prayer. Or when you yourself are facing some sort of crisis sort of situation, you know, that you might fast in order to intensify your prayer. And then there was just the discipline of a couple of times a week regular fasting. What is fasting supposed to do for us? Well, going without food, if you've ever done it, then you know that it causes you some discomfort. We are Americans, so we may be unfamiliar. Do you know that there's such a thing as hunger pains? I'm kidding. I've preached long enough that you've experienced those in this room. But your body will begin to feel discomfort. Most of the time, that discomfort is something that is psychologically trained into us. We expect to eat at a regular time. When the time approaches, our bodies start feeling discomfort, right? So it reminds us, oh, it's time to eat. It's almost noon. I've got to eat at noon. Or it's almost 2.30 if you're a homeschool family. You know, you've got to eat at 2.30. 
You know, but your regular time approaches, your body begins to send off signals, it's time to eat. You know? Well, what fasting does then is it puts you to the place where I'm going to feel those pains and I'm going to ignore them. I'm not going to respond to the drives of my body. Instead of being driven by the discomforts of my body, I'm going to become master of that discomfort and I'm going to tell it, no, and I'm going to hurt. It does two things for me. One, it demonstrates to me that I am, in fact, master of my hungers, not the other way around. But the other thing it does is that, you, you know, when you go without food, the hunger pains, you, usually you feel hunger pain and you're like, oh, i got to eat something. Right? And so you go and you take care of that. But when you're fasting, you're going to tell it no. By telling it no, you're ensuring that that hunger pain remains with you. In fact, it'll probably get worse. And as it becomes worse, you're going to step into prayer. Your pains in your body become like an alarm clock that reminds you to pray. And because you are, you are discomforting your flesh, your prayer takes on a different quality, a different color. It goes deeper because your very body pulls you deeper into prayer. Some observing you may not know that. Watching you do this, they may not recognize that you're going deeper into prayer, but you definitely are. Oh, I left out one of the times of, that we fast. We fast when we have a big life decision to make. We don't know what to do. Fasting increases the discernment process. It pulls us deeper into spirituality. We are using our bodies to remind us of our spiritual needs. That man does not live on bread alone. That we are not just physical creatures. I'll go just a little bit deeper into the mechanics of fasting, and then I'll move into what Jesus had to say about it. If you want to do a long-term fast, this is what you should expect. By the way, we're now getting into a very foreign country for many of us. You know, some of us have been there, though. By a long-term fast, I mean something that's somewhere in the neighborhood of you know, three to maybe 40 days. Okay? A fast of a day or even two days, you, never really, you don't really enter into the strange country because the hunger pains will stay with you the whole time. And that's good. You know, a two-day fast is an amazing experience, Herculean to our culture. And, and it will keep you in that deep prayer the entire time. But if you go longer than two days, at about day three is the hardest point in terms of the hunger pains. They're wretched. You think about food all the time. You begin to notice just how obsessive our culture is with food, the amount of food advertisement that's out there, and how much they try to make food look good using things. Did you know they're using things that aren't food? That ice cream that the Hershey's chocolate syrup is hitting is actually lard, you know, because otherwise it'll melt under the lights. You wouldn't want to sink your spoon into that, but oh, doesn't it look good? And our culture has got almost an obsessive, almost worshipful attitude. It's almost as if somebody somewhere said something about their God being their stomach. But at about day three, it's going to really be hard. And anybody who tells you differently is lying, or they haven't done it. It's super tough to get through day three. You feel horrible. Your head hurts. You feel sick. You aren't. Your body is setting off alarms all over the place. But trust me, most of us are fine. I suppose you might be a truly emaciated person and, and be in danger on day three, but most of us are not. I'm not in any danger on day three. 
By day five, the hunger pains are gone. They begin to fade on day four, and by day five, you won't feel them anymore. And you won't feel them again for another 20 or so days at least, and maybe as much as 35 days more. You might go a full 40 days before you feel the hunger pains. When you feel hunger pains return, if you're doing an extended fast, if it's at day 20, at day 28, whatever it is, when you feel hunger pain, eat. God doesn't want you to keep fasting after the hunger pain comes back because that's called starvation. What's happening then is your body has begun to digest its internal organs and you need to eat food to make it stop doing that. Okay? But during the time after day five, the world becomes very different. There is a, a surrealness to it. You know, that you begin to feel often outside of yourself. And I don't know a better way of saying that. Um, every once in a while you'll feel a little dizzy, but if you drink water, the dizziness goes away. Uh, it's, it's, and during that time, your attentiveness to your soul and to your spirit is intensified in ways that really I've never experienced doing anything else. And I've never, now listen, I've never gone 20 days. I've met people who have. I met somebody who does this once a year as a kind of spiritual cleansing. They go a month without food. I've never done that. Um, I've, never mind how long I've gone, but I have gone into an extended fast. But this is not a contest. But I say all of that as a way of saying, do you realize how Jesus seems to assume that a certain kind of spiritual ascetic rigor is going to be part of the Christian life? Everything I've just talked about is strange to most modern Christians. But I'm not sure that it ought to be. Jesus uh, doesn't ever say, you shall fast. He says, when you fast. So, I don't know if that goes all the way to commandment. There are people that He would say, you shall not fast. If you have an eating disorder, you shall not fast. If you have a medical problem that causes your body to go haywire if you don't eat, you shall not fast. You know, there are people for whom this is verboten, either for physical reasons or for emotional, spiritual reasons. Anorexics shouldn't spiritualize their disease. But for many of us, this thing does something that almost nothing else does. Now listen, God is the one that does it. And God can do whatever He wants. God can mend your heart through prayer. God can help you to discern things through prayer. Do I have to fast? Well, no. But it's interesting how many people I've met who are stuck in a sin that they just cannot seem to escape. And they've tried nothing and they're all out of options. You realize that so many of our sins come to us and take hold of us because we have absolutely no control over our hungers whatsoever. Our desires are allowed to run rampant in us. We live in a culture that tells us that if you have a desire and you suppress it, what are you doing? You need to be authentically you. You need to do what you are. Listen, what you are is a sinner in need of redemption. 
And if you give expression to every single one of your desires to its fullest, you will destroy yourself. Learning to take control of our hungers is something into which we have been invited by God. And the empowerment of God to overcome our hatreds, our lusts, our hungers, this is what God is inviting you into when He invites you into discipleship to Jesus Christ. Those of you who have been set free from something that was killing you, is God not to be praised for your freedom? And yet, did you not have to take mastery of that thing that mastered you? We have in this room people who at one time would say, I am a drug addict. And they may still say, hi, I'm a drug addict, but I've been sober this long. How did you do that? Was it not by the power of God? These folks stand before the rest of us of examples of what God's might can do when we share in it with our own effort. And fasting is one way to do that. It is one of the tools that God has given to us to say to our hungers and our desires, I will not. And this hunger is an entirely healthy one. You realize that? Entirely healthy hunger. Uh, The hunger after food, I mean, I'm addicted to food. I eat almost every day. And if I don't, I get weak. I have headaches. My addiction shows up with withdrawal symptoms all over the place. And I'm pretty convinced that if I were to stop eating, I think I would die. That's how bad the withdrawal would be. It's not, it's not like that. This is a hunger that we were designed to have. Man was made a hungry animal. And we're meant to eat. But by mastering the natural desire, we increase our mastery of the unnatural one especially when we do it with the Spirit of God at work in us. It is possible to fast in such a way that you receive none of the benefits of what fasting is meant to do. Because it is possible to fast in such a way that you do not engage with God. When you fast, what you're doing is you're building a private chapel inside of your heart that nobody else knows about, but you are very aware of it. Why are you aware of it? Because your body's going off with pain. It's going, man, I want food, and I feel weak, and I'm tired, and I'm a little bit dizzy, and I'm sleepy, and I just really want food. That's your chapel. Step into it. You've built a place of prayer within your very flesh. And no one else needs to know that that's going on. By doing that, you intensify your prayer. You spend time with God, and all day long on the day that you fast, or the week that you fast, all day long, you have intensified your prayer and you have done, grown closer to the Holy Spirit far more often than you would have done it if you weren't fasting. Because you don't have the body's alarm clock the same way when you're not fasting. Is don't. So it pulls you in and you spend time with God in intense and wondrous prayer. Sometimes your prayer begins with, oh man, I'm so hungry, God help me do this. But then it will bring you to the thing for which you are fasting. God, this sin has mastery over me and I want to be free. Help me, please. Or God, I don't know what to do. This decision lies before me and I don't know what to do. 
But it is possible even to go through the steps of fasting and to go through the prayer that fasting is meant to lead you to and not engage with God at all. And why would I say that? Because that's what Jesus is teaching about. I had to do all that work to get us close to where the Jews in the first century already were. They fasted twice a week. They knew the mechanics of this stuff. They knew what it looked like. And some of us probably do too, but many of us don't. So to get us to this point, now we can get to where Jesus begins to speak to us when He says, and when you fast. If you're going to do this, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces uh, that, they are, that their fasting may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have received that reward. They got what they're looking for. It is entirely possible to fast in such a way that the person that you interact with is your neighbor and not your God. And you may go through stuff that looks spiritual and it may look real and it may look deep, but you will find that nothing is changing in you. Why not? Because the one who can change you is first of all not the fasting and second of all not your neighbor and third of all not yourself. If you could change yourself, you wouldn't need to fast. We cannot overcome sin on our own. It is a stronger power than our will. But this alien behavior draws us into the presence of the other, and the other is transformative to us. These people were fasting in such a way that they never spent any time with God, and they didn't do it. They just didn't. He says, when you fast, anoint your head, or wash your hair, and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by men but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is a private chapel. This experience is meant to be between you and God and between you and God alone. Someone might have to know about it, a family member, or you might have a business lunch, and you got to decide, Do I, maybe i got to break my fast because I have to for my job. You know, better to break your fast than to try to look uber spiritual in front of that person. But, you know, someone might have to learn about it. But as much as you can, you keep that between you and God. Why? Because spirituality is intimacy with God. That's what spirituality is. And the sinner comes to God with their sin, knowing that it's there. And you know, people are more than happy to share their fasting with other people. They're not willing to share the embarrassing reason for their fast, the thing that they need to fast about. No, they want to look good, not bad. And we come to God, and we come to God in fasting because there's a problem inside of us. You need to invite God to bring, come to bear with His power upon that problem. And that's how it helps us to become free. That's what fasting is for. To intensify our prayer, to lead us deeper into prayer, to make our prayer of a different character and of a different nature. Now listen, fasting will not heal you. Fasting is not your doctor. God is. But if you look at your life and you go, man, this thing has got power over me. And I'm being constantly defeated. 
then perhaps this strange and foreign place in the Scriptures is exactly where you need to go. Because fasting that is holy leads us to become different kinds of people. What did you read this morning in the book of Isaiah? The fasting that God wants. God wants fasting, but He wants fasting that's connected to a transformed way of life. Not that's all impressive or trying to manipulate or control Him, but fasting that is trying to get close to Him so that He can make you like Himself because He would welcome the homeless into His home and He would feed the hungry. That's who He is. And by fasting, we draw near to Him so that we can become like Him by His power. This strange alien practice has got huge power when it leads us to be near God. And it may be that if you look at your life today, you go, wow, I'm going to give that a try. (laughs) What do you got to lose? A couple of meals? And you might find yourself becoming more like God by His great power. But let me remind you, don't turn to this like magic. And it's better to leave it entirely out of your life than to put your confidence in that. Our confidence is always meant to be in the Lord God because the Lord God is your Savior. The Spirit of God can save you. And He can use this practice and He can use a ton of others as well. The important thing in all of what Jesus has said for the last five weeks that we've looked at this this concept of spiritual discipline is that you be authentic in drawing near to God with who you genuinely are. Because there's your hope of a transformed life. It is in the hands of God that you might change. And so you bring what you are to God and you be really with Him. Don't try to impress anybody else. Don't try to show off. Don't try to fool yourself. Don't try to fake it. Be with God. Because God is your hope. And if you look into your life this morning and you say, you know, I'm not near enough to God. God is your hope. Drawn near to God by whatever means you can. Be close to Him. And He will come near to you. And that thing that you think can't possibly change can change. Your temper can get better. Your lust can diminish. Your hungers can improve. It all can change because God is in the business of changing hearts. It's why He encouraged us to do this. It's what discipleship is all about. You look into your life this morning and you say, that's what I want. Let us know. We will pray with you. You can be a different person than you are. It may be that you came into this church building today and you carried with you this this burden of pain and suffering. It's got nothing to do with fasting, but you really need the prayers of the saints. Well, We want to pray for you. This is a praying church. Let us do it. And if you're not a Christian, there is no better day to start following Jesus than today. If this morning you're subject to the invitation of God, there's room right here. Why don't you come while we stand and sing?